as my high school teacher, Miss Judy Coleman, used to say, we must adjust to changing times and still hold to unchanging principles. Hello and welcome to Unchanging Principles. I'm your host, Josh Carter, and I'm President Carter's grandson. Now, first, I want to thank my very fine listeners for more than 1,000 downloads of my podcast. Thank you so much. And if this is your first time listening to my podcast, especially if you're here from the Carter Center Weekend, welcome. Now, I just got back from the Carter Center's annual conference and fundraiser. This was the Carter Center's 30th weekend and uh, my 27th. You know, I've missed three I missed two during college and one in 2018, which started four days after my son was born. You know, we travel young, but not that young. Now, if you've never been to the Carter Center weekend, it's an amazing experience. Now, it started out as a ski trip, and we held it in February, and everybody called it Winter Weekend. It was such a good name (laughs) that we still sometimes call it Winter Weekend on accident, um, even though it now happens in June. But the arc of the conference remains the same. It's uh, the attendees get to meet with the staff and my family and the Carter Center hosts multiple panels throughout the weekend that highlights the Carter Center's work um, and accomplishments around the globe. And there's always excursions and there's great food. And the weekend ends with a live auction with incredibly rare and amazingly curated items. Um, Among those, um, my favorite items that were auctioned off, you know, there's there's usually a picture of four or five presidents that are autographed by each of those presidents. Uh, There was a guitar signed by Willie Nelson that generated a lot of excitement. And one of the coolest things at the auction was a um, copper relief print of the original Declaration of Independence. And there were 500 copies that were commissioned by John Quincy Adams when he was Secretary of State in 1840. I was quickly outbid for that. I went for $110,000. For the, for, and for 30 years, the last item auctioned has always been an original piece of art from my grandfather. He started out uh, when he used to make furniture in his wood shop, and, which almost every single one you know, I worked on. Back even when I was eight years old, you know, work is a relative term when you're eight in the wood shop. But, you know, I would still, is how I learned to love woodworking in my grandfather's wood shop was seeing what he would build for the Carter Center weekend um, auction. But this year, um, after he stopped woodworking, he would auction off his original paintings. And this year, he auctioned off his painting of a great egret. Now, every year, there are new attendees to the conference, but there's also a lot of people that return year after year after year. And I've come to think of the Carter Center weekend as a homecoming. And there's a lot to catch up on. I mean, this is the first in-person meeting since COVID started ruining plans three years ago. The topic of the last panel of the weekend was on the Carter Center's efforts to fight for democracy here in America. Now, this panel was held right in the middle of the January 6th Select Committee's public testimony, and, you know, our nation's problems were forefront on pretty much everybody's mind that was in attendance. And, you know, that panel was one of the most engaged panel of the weekend, if the enormous stack of questions delivered to the panelists was any gauge, but I have something special in mind for talking about that topic, and uh, I don't want to focus on that today. You know, the past few months have been heavy. And one of the main reasons I love going to the Carter Center Weekend is that I get to leave restored. I get renewed with a hope for our species and our planet. And, you know, 
I got a bunch of cool stories to tell. So I thought we could take a break from the bad and the hard and talk about something good. Now, if that doesn't work for you, you could stop here and turn on the news. You know, any station will do. But I hope you decide to stick with me. After 27 weekends, I'm amongst the most well-attended Carter Center weekend attendees, you know, with my unfair advantage of being Jimmy Carter's grandson. Um, But this weekend was notable for a variety of reasons. First and foremost was the fact that this was the first weekend that my grandparents did not attend. You know, in 97 and 94, my grandparents are now fully retired and they just don't travel anymore. And honestly, we did not know how that was going to affect attendance. You know, we planned on this. We knew that there's a steady march of time and we were going to get to this day. Now, don't get me wrong. The Carter family was well represented. My cousin Jason is the chair of the board of trustees and he was there. My dad and my uncle Chip and Aunt Becky were there. And of course, I was there with my wife, Sarah. But to state the obvious, none of us were the president of the United States or first lady. So the second notable thing about this event was it was the first real trip that Sarah and I have been on since COVID. First airplane, for sure. And because of that, we did not bring the kids. Now, I know a lot of people missed seeing the kids. I know that because they told me. But uh, without them, I did have the opportunity to have a real conversation with another human being, an adult, that I did not live with. And that part was fantastic. You know, I met old friends and knew at the Carter Center weekend and... um I got to meet people in person that I've only met through email or a two-inch Zoom square. And those things are great, but it's just not the same as meeting in person. So I really enjoyed that. And the third notable thing about this event was the auction. And I'm going to tell you about that at the end. Now, amongst the updates at the Carter Center weekend, the two most exciting pieces of news came from our health programs, fighting disease. And I'm going to focus on those stories this episode. My grandparents have always held that access to health care is a fundamental human right. It's their belief that where we have the ability to ease human suffering, we should do it. So when my grandfather was asked to summarize the Carsoner's health programs, he said this, quote, We believe access to health care is a human right, especially among poor people afflicted with disease who are forgotten, ignored, and often without hope. Just to know that someone cares about them not only can ease their physical pain, but also remove an element of alienation and anger that can lead to hatred and violence. End quote. And that's how the health programs at the Carter Center started. Now, the next part's a bit of an oversimplification, but not really. You know, the Carter Center started its pillar of fighting disease by my grandfather reaching out to the CDC and asking them to give them a list of neglected but treatable diseases. You know, neg- uh, treatable for the obvious reason that you want to be able to treat it, but neglected because my grandfather made a core decision at the foundation of the Carter Center that the center would not tackle problems other organizations were already tackling. The Carter Center picked five, five diseases, and they are onchocerciasis, schistosomiasis, lymphatic filariasis, draconocoliasis, and trachoma. And I always think it's fun whenever a new host within the Carter Center or outside of the Carter Center encounters those words for the first time from a microphone, because you can always tell if they have done their homework or not. But as funny as that is, the diseases are not. They're all a scourge of the poor 
of the unconnected and the unsupported. And each one of these diseases is just miserable. And I'm going to tell you about two of them. I'm going to start with trachoma. Now, I'm sure that you've all had the unpleasant experience of having an eyelash in your eye. You know, it's one of those problems that just needs immediate attention. You're going to stop whatever you are doing, go to the bathroom, and you're going to pull it on your eyelids. You can find that eyelash, and you're going to pull it out because you just can't stand (laughs) having that eyelash in your eye. Now, trachoma is a disease that turns your entire eyelid inwards so that all your eyelashes are against your eyeball at all times. And every time you blink, it scratches your cornea. And eventually you blink so many times that your cornea gets so so scratched that you go blind. You know, for me, it's just nauseating to even think about. But trachoma is treatable. And the Carter Center has been working to treat trachoma for almost a quarter century now. It's a bacterial infection that comes from poor hygiene and unsanitary water sources and is easily spread from person to person through uh, contact, through clothing, but mostly flies. It's the main vector is flies. And there are simple things that you can do to prevent trachoma. Washing your face is one of them, but building latrines is another because that will reduce the fly population. There's also a simple surgery that you can perform to flip your eyelid back once your eyelid is flipped forward. And uh, the Carter Center's programs support nearly a quarter of those surgeries that are performed in any given year around the world. And, you know, as I referenced earlier, one of the most effective ways to control trachoma is through the five population by building the trees. Now, my grandparents used to joke that they are most known through Africa as, uh, as two people that build the trees. In the past 20 years, the Carter Center has supported the construction of more than three and a half million latrines. Now I say supported because we teach people how to do it, and then they do it. My grandmother has a favorite latrine story, you know, as one does. And she told it so often that as soon as my grandparents ever started talking about trachoma or Ethiopia, if my mom was with me, she would groan, and she'd roll her eyes, and she'd speak under her breath to me, if I have to hear that latrine story one more time. <laughs> and I would say, then what? You got about five seconds to decide because we're about to hear that latrine story. So in honor of my mother, here is my grandmother's latrine story. That gives me a good chance to tell the story that Jim has heard me tell so many times. Um, we have we work on, on peace and health. And in health, we have five diseases. And we're working, one of them is trachoma. And trachoma is the leading cause of preventable blindness, and it comes from filth. And in these countries, you see little children with flies. Jimmy says it looks like they have dark glasses on, but there's flies all around the eyes. And the, the flies suck the moisture out of the eye. The eyelid then turns in and scratches the cornea, and they go blind. And so we're working on trying to keep people from going blind. But the main things we fo- uh, focus on are the face and environment. And for face, we teach them to wash their faces. And um, environment, for environment, we teach them to build latrines. And we heard about this one area in Ethiopia of where they were building some latrines, and I, I got excited about it, and, and I wanted to go see it. So we went out to this village. And um, what they, our people learned there was that the women couldn't go to the bathroom in the daytime. 
It's against their culture. If they have to go and can't wait, they have to go on the dirt floor in their hut. But the women got so excited about it that the women from the next village found out about it. They wanted latrines. We thought, we, they th we thought that they might build 10,000 latrines last year. Well, all the women got so excited from the whole area, they built 89,000 latrines. And at the end of this year, they will have built 250,000 latrines. And it has totally changed their lives. And we went to this village, and the latrine, um, they dug the hole in the ground, and then they put a little, well, this one had leaves over it, with sticks and leaves, that closes it in. And we were looking at one, and here was this woman standing. We had taken some press had gone with us, and she was saying, and now I can relieve myself any time I want to. <laughs> and this little, and as we were looking in, and the latrine had, they had a, a gourd, a pumpkin, and it was about this big around. They had cut the top of it out, and that was the lid. That was the cover. So we were looking at it, and this little boy was dancing around. He was, his sister was four, and he was younger. He was dancing all around, and I said, Jimmy, he wants to tell us something. He started running over, not as far as from here to that wall over there, probably. And that was his latrine, his own latrine. It had a gourd cover over the top of it. He was so proud of it. And so Jimmy said, he was dancing, Jimmy said, you want to show us how to use it? And so he squatted down and looked up with this most beautiful smile you've ever seen in your life. was so proud of that latrine. And then the little girl did wanted to show us too. So she sat down and she had a long dress that was almost to her ankles and she sat, she squatted down and patted that little dress all the way around and then looked up with a, a, a smile that just does something to your heart. <laughs> and people ask us why we keep doing these things. Well, every time I think, well, I don't want to go to Africa again. Every time I go, it's something like that that just makes you want to keep, keep on and keep on doing these things. That's a good latrine story, right? <laughs> so the update that we learned from the Carter Center weekend is, uh, is the Carter Center still has very active programs in Mali, Niger, Ethiopia, Sudan, and South Sudan. Collectively to date, the Carter Center has supported more than 850,000 corrective surgeries in Africa, um, which is in addition to the 15.5 million doses of antibiotics and the 3.5 million latrines that were built. Carter Center has reduced the global risk of trachoma by 13%. And the programs are so effective that in 2018, because of the work of the Carter Center, Ghana worked with the World Health Organization to create a program, because it didn't exist, to certify that they have eliminated trachoma from their country. So the exciting news that we learned at the end of the trachoma talk was that Mali is now starting that same process to certify that they have eliminated trachoma in their country. I mean, that's cool, right? So the, moving on from trachoma, the most urgent and exciting news about the Carter Center's health program came from our draconocoliasis program, and that's commonly known as guinea worm. So to kick off the guinea worm story, I'm actually going to read from the Bible, the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. And here we go. And when King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. 
And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver these people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. And they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. The soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there water, and our soul loatheth the light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpent from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. It shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and he put it upon the pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, then he beheld the serpent of brass. He lived. Now, as you know, Numbers is the fourth book of the Old Testament. And of course, that makes it also the fourth book of the Torah. Biblical scholars debate as they do, but the general consensus is that Numbers was written 3,400 years ago. Now, many modern biblical scholars, my grandfather included, believe that the fiery serpent in this passage is actually the guinea worm. And that makes the guinea worm legitimately a god-awful parasite. And there are a lot of reasons to think that this is true. I mean, first, the parasite is a worm, which is obviously shaped like a serpent. The worm itself is three or four feet long, so that's as long as a serpent. And it burns when it comes out of your body. It can come out anywhere. But verse 8, read it again. The Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Now, those words are 3,400 years old, but those are the instructions on how to get a guinea worm out of your body and live. And that's exactly what we do today. When the worm emerges from your body, you wrap it around a pole. Now, back in Old Testament days, it makes sense to wrap the worm around a clean piece of brass so you don't use a stick or anything that will bring an infection. But today we use gauze. It's basically the only difference. The worm slowly extracts itself over hours or weeks, depending on how long the worm is. And you continue to roll the worm around the gauze or Old Testament brass until it comes out. You know, otherwise, if you try to pull it out, it will break and die and cause an infection, which in 1400 BC was near certain death. Now, take that same idea, the wrapping the worm around a clean piece of brass, and think about the rod of Asclepius. Now, you might not recognize the name rod of Asclepius, but you've definitely seen it, especially if you live in the United States. The rod of Asclepius is a snake spiraled up a stick, and that's the symbol that has been synonymous with the medical profession for at least five or 6,000 years. When I mean, you look at the back of any ambulance that is... Uh, that's driving down the road, you will see that blue pointed star with the snake wrapped around a pole. A worm wrapped around a stick was used to identify ancient medical practitioners in Syria and India thousands of years before the ancient Romans co-opted that imagery to represent Asclepius, god of medicine. You know, point being, the guinea worm is old 
It's ancient. It's biblical. And my grandparents sought to destroy it. And here is my grandfather talking to John Stewart about it in 2015. Welcome back, my guest tonight. The 39th president of these United States' is Foundation, the Carter Center, will have an exhibit on display at the Museum of Natural History right here in New York beginning tomorrow called Countdown to Zero, Defeating Disease. Please welcome back to our program, President Jimmy Carter. Sir! <laughs> Let me let me start by saying that is a beautiful necklace you're wearing. <laughs> Thank you what, very much. What is that, sir? This is a pipe filter. I brought it for you. A pipe filter? Yeah. If you go to South Sudan and you're thirsty and you find an empty water hole that may be stagnant with scum on top, put this in your mouth and stick it through the scum and suck it and you won't get a guinea worm. Thank you. For a second, I thought it was back in the 70s, and me, you, and Willie Nelson were heading <laughs> yeah, up to the yeah. roof of the White House. I didn't know what was going yeah, on with this. I understand this. that, yeah. All right, all right. Uh, we've, we've uh, sent... now, now, these are, you have manufactured these for the people of the Sudan? We've sent 13 million of them into South Sudan, so everybody can have that. And is this what has, uh, uh, is this what has done the job to eradicate Guinea worm? Absolutely. It's got, it's got a filter cloth on the bottom. See a little filter cloth? Yes, yes, yes. So you suck the water through that, takes out the guinea worm eggs, and you won't have a worm this long in your body a, a, a year after you take, drink the water. You have cut down. How many cases of, of guinea worm have you, are, are there now? Is it? Well, we started out with three and a half million yeah. in 20 countries, 23,600 villages, and now we have 126 cases in the world. 126 cases? Yeah. Hold on one second. I am announcing uh, a, a program tonight to save the endangered guinea worm. Um, <laughs> there are only 129 of them <laughs> left in this. 126. Six. <laughs> you're, 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 you're incredible. Now, the guinea worm propagates because the sore that they make in the skin burns so bad that for thousands of years, people would seek relief by just standing in water to cool their burn. I mean, it makes sense. But the guinea worm would then release its eggs in the water, which is often the village's water source, and then villagers would drink the water that was contained with the guinea worm eggs, and the cycle would continue for thousands of years. But if you break that cycle once, you kill the disease. So the cool thing about the Carter Center's guinea worm program is that guinea worm is eradicable through education and water filters and water treatment. So... It's not through medicine. It's through changing behavior. We give them the tools, like a filter pipe that my grandfather gave to John Stewart, and literally filter out the guinea worm eggs and you don't propagate. We teach people the life cycle of the guinea worm so they know how to break it. Break it once, and the worm is dead. And believe me, everybody in the village who has seen guinea worm is absolutely motivated to eradicate that from their waters. So education, though, is just an enormous challenge. I mean, you can't just send out pamphlets. I mean, the, a lot of people that are affected by guinea worm are illiterate. And sometimes, though, a village's language is not even a written language. I mean, there are more than 100 different languages spoken in Sudan alone. I think it's like 115. So if you communicate any way that you can, I mean, we have used magnifying glasses to uh, look uh, to show glass water, show the guinea worm eggs in the water sources. 
uh, village elders will, or their children will put on a play or sing a song. Now, obviously, one of the most widely distributable forms of communication is through drawings, artwork. But that can actually be a lot harder than you think. And my grandmother's favorite story about the importance of effective communication, and the one I shared at the Carter Center weekend, came from one of these villages. My grandmother went into a village with uh, these drawings of how to avoid a guinea worm. And it was styled like a comic. And the drawing showed a cartoon of a woman, uh, her legs in standing in water about ankle deep, ending in a wavy blue line that represents the water line, bending over with her filter straw and drinking out of the watering hole. One of the women that were in attendance, she looked horrified and nauseous, and then she just started bawling because she thought the drawing showed that the way you get rid of guinea worm was to cut off your feet. So they calmed her down. They assured her that she'd keep her feet, and we had to redraw the, the, the drawing that showed more of a 3D view that clearly showed feet, fully intact feet standing in water. Another story that I learned later after telling that story of the Carter Center weekend was in Sudan during one of their armed conflicts, the Carter Center distributed thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of drinking straws by airdrop. We just dropped them out of helicopters and flooded the zone and kind of hoped that people would pick them up, uh, unroll the instructions that were wrapped around it and drink the water. Now, that was not as effective as we thought it would be or as we hoped because when you unrolled the instructions, it showed a man drinking from a watering hole using the pipe filter. And women and children, we learned, believed that only men were allowed to use the straw and women and children were not using it. So again, we had to go back and redraw the communication to show an entire family of women and children and men drinking uh, through the filter straw to instruct them on how to use it. So these are the kind of challenges that you get when you communicate cross-culturally. I mean, you'll never know if your communication is effective until you receive the feedback and you understand your audience's perspective. And then only at that point will you have the ability to adapt and change. So at the Carter Center weekend, we learned that all of these efforts now have brought us the closest that we have ever been to eradicating guinea worm from our planet. And guinea worm will be the second disease ever eradicated. You know, the first obviously being smallpox. Smallpox was eradicated through vaccine program. But guinea worm is being eradicated through behavior changes, through education, and through empowering local individuals to rid themselves of this disease. And to show how close we are, the Carter Center debuted this video, which is incredible. And the audio is so good, I'm going to play it for you now. How far today we've come Through war, through gore, through all that's glum Through the crippling chorus of the doubters' drums That banged on loud that it can't be done Three million five hundred was the starting sum Whilst endless and traceless cases overrun Neglected, the infected had no one See, much bigger battles had to first be won 
And so its reign of terror raged, this fiery serpent from an ancient age, inflicting pain with disdain it waged, its war on the poor, on the poor it played. It cared not for gender, age or creed, at the water halls it poured its seed and sprung, its trap and when thirst ushered those in need, again the cycle of woe begun. It ravaged and bore through limbs and dreams, through the farmers' farms that yielded none, through the strained regimes, through poverty schemes, through the children's screams, even the soldiers' guns. Meanwhile, on shores a world away, the president's men pinned themselves a feat to slay the serpent come what may, so they built a team to complete the deed. The task seems simple, make the waters clean, educate, engage, channel change through song, give the masses classes, no need for vaccines, just some local warriors with the will that's strong. And as the cause rang true, more joined the fray, donors to fund the fight, partners with roles to play, doctors to bring relief, leaders to lead the way. Experts with expertise, the tables turned that day. Together fight disease, together wage some peace, together inspire hope, together bring reprieve, together cure this ill and this parasite beast. Hand in hand, together we achieve. It's been 40 years, all of them toil by none. A pipe dream at first facing three million ones. Now it's just 15 cases, just 15. Thanks to warriors with filter pipes rebuilding dreams. Now it's just 15. I mean, it's just 15. 15. That's so good. It's so good. And I know you're going to want to listen to that again, but I beg you instead to watch the video. It's cool as that audio was. The video is even better. And you can find it on the Carson's website, carsoner.org. Search for Just 15. And I'll, of course, have it linked on unchangingprinciples.com. Now, we all watched the video a few times at the Carter Center weekend because, you know, it just highlights some of the best and most important work of the center. 15 cases, man. And we know, the Carter Center knows, which 15 people have guinea worm, and we're monitoring them very closely. And you might be thinking, okay, there's just 15 people. Why don't we just medevac them all, take them to the hospital, remove the worm, bring them home, and then just call it done? But the thing about it is that uh, these 15 cases, just by the nature of them being the last cases, are the most isolated, the hardest to get to, the hardest to complete. And a large portion of this program requires keeping the pressure on to destroy this parasite now. I mean, we need to treat these last cases, yes. But then we also need to continue monitoring the water sources and the people in the villages. And we need to continue distributing our pipe filters until the very last guinea worm is dead and then certified dead. We need to maintain our robust monitoring of the situation and so we can deal with any uh, new cases immediately. 
And that leads me all the way back to my third notable point about the Car Center weekend. Now, the auction, the fundraiser, was the most successful event that the Carter Center had ever hosted. We brought in more than $4.3 million that goes directly to support the mission of the Carter Center, which is to wage peace, fight disease, and build hope. And this is why I love going to the Carter Center weekend, because I left that weekend with hope that our planet will soon be one where nobody suffers from this ancient parasite. Our planet is on track to ensure that no one goes blind from filth. And the methods of the Carson's programs are perhaps unique because the secret of the Carson's success is that we empower local leaders with education, resources, and tools to improve their own communities. And we trust them to do it. You know, the Carter Center operates with this trust that a small village of just a few hundred people in the middle of nowhere can change the world. And of course, that core belief comes because the Carter Center itself was founded by a couple from a small village of just a few hundred people in the middle of nowhere to do just that. Thank you for listening to Unchanging Principles. If you're here from the Carter Center weekend, welcome and I hope you stick around. We have a lot to talk about. If you wish to donate to the work of the Carter Center, you can, of course, go to their website, carcenter.org, or reach out to me. Now, I'm not directly involved, but I can certainly make the right connection. You can always reach me through my website, unchangingprinciples.com, and contact me by email, josh at unchangingprinciples.com. I know it's been a while since between episodes, but I'm busy on this project, I promise. Um, as you may have noticed, I've updated my album art, I'm working on my website, and we've got a lot of content coming up. I have a lot going on, but I always have time to respond to you. So please drop me a line uh, with any questions or comments or feedback that you might have. And I especially love hearing the stories that you have. So if you have a story from the Carter Center or from a trip to Africa or a story of my grandparents, please let me know. If you have enjoyed this episode, it helps me tremendously. If you like, rate, and subscribe to my podcast, wherever good podcasts are downloaded, tell your friends, stay tuned, and together we will adjust to these changing times. And we will hold on to our unchanging principles. There is a peaceful solution called the Peace Revolution. Now let's take back America. There's a war and we're in. I know we can win it. So let's take back America. There was a dream, so believe it. And get ready to receive it. Now let's take back.